Wendy Wasserstein and Daniel Sullivan sat down for an interview in October of 1992. I'm Hal Prince, a member of the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, and this is Masters of the Stage, produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. This is Wendy Wasserstein on my right. Dan Sullivan on my right. Uh, First question on my list. Uh, They would like to know how you met. A mixer. A mixer. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think anyone would talk to me, and then Dan did. (laughs) There you go. There you go. No, uh, Wendy uh, came out to uh, Seattle Rep, where I'm the artistic director. And um, uh, we were doing, we have a workshop program out there where we do new plays, four new plays, um, a year in in two-week workshops. And um, Wendy, uh, we were doing a play by a friend of Wendy's, and she came out to see it, and I think sort of liked the the process there, and um, then wanted to bring her play, The Heidi Chronicles, to Seattle to, uh, for us to workshop. She wanted to be sort of away from all her many friends here in New York, so she could work on the play in semi-isolation in Seattle, and that's how we yeah. started working together. I- I think people are interested in the process. Like, when do you go to Dan? How far along is the play? What happens? That kind of thing. Hmm. I can say, um, with the Heidi Chronicles, it's really the play that we met doing. Um, With this play, the new one, The Sisters Rosenzweig, what I did was I always set a deadline for myself for when I'm going to finish a play, uh, (laughs) which take me a long time to write. But the past two plays, The Heidi Chronicles and this one, I made myself finish by a birthday. And, uh, and then when I finished it, I sent a copy to Dan and, and a copy to Andre um, Bishop. And I think you have to be very careful with the play when you finish it, exactly who you show it to. And, and that was truly the only people I, I gave it to. And basically with my plays, I thought what made me so happy about the Heidi Chronicles was that it really was a matter of protecting the play and things being about the play. So Heidi was first read in New York at Playwrights Horizons, and then we decided to do it at the Seattle Rep uh, with Dan directing it, and that was a two-week process and then a three-day reading. And then we had another reading of the play in New York, and then I think another reading prior to the rehearsal process. And the same thing, the Sisters Rosenzweig, there was a first reading in New York and then a two-week process in Seattle, then another reading in California and another reading here. So... And during those readings, did did Dan come more and more into play? Is, is, is that how it worked? I mean, did you more and more see what you – did you both know where, where you wanted the play to go? I mean, is that why all those readings kept happening? I think probably after the workshop in Seattle, after having worked on it uh, with living human beings for two weeks and having put it in front of an audience for four performances, we got some sense of what was there and – what direction it, it needed to go in. I think probably the, the final readings were for us more of a kind of confirmation uh, once some of that work was done as to uh, whether that had, had helped us in the sections that we felt uh, needed help 
and finally, the last reading, I think, uh, again, was m more verification than it was, what do we do about this? Because you can't tell after a first initial reading, because readings are always, you know, very exciting. It's the first time people hear a play. And if something is miscast, you really don't know if it's the casting or the play. Or, you know, you're just happy you, some, somebody's laughing or somebody's listening, frankly. <laughs> I mean, in my case, in terms of working with Dan, it's hard when, you know, someone's next to you because you get embarrassed or whatever. But it's really trusting somebody about the text and working with them and knowing that they have a real sense of text and relying on Dan that that's part of the process. That I think at some point you come to uh, an idea of where the play is going, and then you sort of go there in, in, in a direction. So I've never felt, um, you know, at any time sort of, oh, this isn't this cut, or this idea is not for the good for the, of the play. It always seems to me that, that it is. Uh, and that's, to me, the most important thing in a director, basically. Did you uh, find that working doing it in New York is really different than doing it in Seattle? Coffee's not as good at all. <laughs> <laughs> He looks okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, is it true about the New York pressures and all the, all the chic people and the eyebrows raised? Did you find yourselves more comfortable in Seattle with, with the new play? Well, there's, I think there's always um, a period of time, particularly in previews here in New York. Uh, Andre loves uh, these long preview periods of five weeks. They drive me mad. But everybody's friends, you know, not just Wendy's friends, but my friends and the actors' friends uh, uh, all come to see, of course, and we, we are a, an opinionated bunch, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So th they, they can be very harmful, I find, uh, during a preview period, unless you uh, are very strong and know what you're doing. Uh, and I think, yes, uh, if that were happening to us with the play that we were previewing and looking at in Seattle, it could have been bad for us. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think by the time... We had our, uh, our play fairly firmly fixed here. Very little damage could be done to us. I'm curious about, did you go to all the rehearsals then? I have gone to all the rehearsals, yeah. I think because, first of all, my plays tend to be long. I don't, I'm just a naturally long writer. And no matter, I remember the first preview of the Heidi Chronicles, it came down at 11.05. And some producer who will renamed Endless, uh, Endless. <laughs> <laughs> Nameless came up to me and said, Wendy, it's long. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> and I remember this one, even in rehearsal, I kept trying to cut it because I was anticipating length. And sure enough, I looked at my watch, the curtain came down, and it was 11 o'clock. And I thought, it doesn't matter. I like They're like hydras. I cut off a head and something else froze. So for me to go to the rehearsals is extremely helpful because it's, you know, it's like, anticipating those cuts. And when you work with really good actors and you're working with a really good director, you can get in there and get that stuff out in a rehearsal, which is very useful. I well, does it work both ways? Would you, I mean, obviously Dan works with you on the text. Do you give notes, director's notes? Or no. I don't like this. Oh, or, no. I'm no, I never would either. I'm just curious. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. I, I sort of like sitting and, and watching, and it's sometimes useful, and if you can take the best from the actors. But I, no, I never... I never sort of talk to the actors <laughs> in that, in or, that way. No. Or, or suggest to Dan maybe something could look a little different. Does that ever happen? I, I don't think so. Not very often with, with Wendy, not that often. Well, I mean, I think, well, I think one of the 
reasons is that Wendy is so involved in the rehearsal. She's there at all moments. She's part of and observes each decision, whereas I find that very often uh, writers who don't like to come around very often and aren't part of it, when they do arrive, you're, there's an avalanche of notes <laughs> so, know, because they haven't been part of the process of putting it together. Uh, I, I've just gone from uh, working with somebody who uh, abhors rehearsals and never comes at all until uh, the first uh, run-through of the play, wow. uh, which is uh, frightening. And, and one is not, only, not just a director in that case, one is also messenger to the playwright. This is how your play is going. <laughs> you have to represent it as honestly as you possibly can. That's hard. Whereas Wendy's there all the time, which, and sometimes yeah. I do turn and look at Wendy and think, what must she be thinking? She's here <laughs> you know, eight hours a day. It must be very hard at some point. Well, if, if there is a point of disagreement about something, if one vision is a little different from the other, I assume you just work something out. I mean, a, a this isn't working moment. You both kind of arrive at that together, if yeah, it happens? pretty much. I think that there hasn't been a why like this and you hate it. I haven't experienced that that much with Dan. Um, you know, I certainly have with other directors. Um, but it has been pretty much mutual that both of us would anticipate this isn't working. And my, I always say, well, let's cut it. And Dan would say, you know, no, there's something else that can be done <laughs> than cutting. About, about the writing process, the, the, do you really assign yourself a block of time every day and do it? Do you just wait? No, good Lord, no. no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think I know better. I'm just reading mm-hmm. what's on the page here. I, uh, do you just kind of wait around and hope it's going to happen when you set your birthday for a date and the date is coming forward? And well, it depends. I mean, what's good about being in rehearsal is you have to show up with something. No, but uh, I mean, I think... Before that, while it's just you and, and the computer or, or the typewriter or whatever? Uh, it depends. I mean, if I'm really trying to finish something, then I'll, you know, try to set time aside every day to write. But, you know, in the usual course of events, I mean, there are some people I know, like my friend Terrence McNally can write a play in three weeks or something. Generally, my plays tend to take six to eight months. You know, and some days I work all day, and then some days I go to a lot of lunches, and <laughs> I like to talk on the phone, have a lot of friends. Uh, <laughs> but it, you know, it depends. Do you find that the hardest part is that initial leap, just getting it, getting some on paper? Or? Yeah, I think it's that, and then actually, you know, finishing it and knowing that it's a first draft and that there's all this way to go, and I guess points at which you don't know where you're going at all, all, all of those things. Uh, this is a, something here that seems hard to me to answer, but I, maybe you can give it a shot. When you do get an idea for a play, something's floating in your head, do you do a first draft before you show it to people, or do you just plunge in, or do you make yourself outlines or notes? Or I know that's a hard question, but here it is. Well, it takes me so long to write a play that, I mean, the idea for my new play for the Sisters Rosenzweig I had when I was finishing the Heidi Chronicles in London five years ago. So it takes me, ten plays tend to be something that I've had on my mind for a while, and I, I don't write many short one-act plays. I like expansive space. So this is gestation, right? You're talking about five years of Well, not, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> five years of brewing. You'd think you would produce Bruce. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, well, it was in, in your head. It was, in my, it was kicking in there for a while, which is, I think it's very good when you're finishing. I mean, actually, in the past weeks, I've gotten an idea for another play, and it's a very good thing when you're about to finish something to know that there's an idea for something else there. It, that's very good. 
And there's always that famous old Hemingway thing about leaving it at the end of the day when you are anxious to get back to it the next day and trying to quit when you're uh, mm-hmm. in a good mood about it. Does that do you try to yeah, follow that I think one? So. It's it seems to be working well. Would you? I mean, would you assume, uh, with this one that you're thinking of now? Do you would you sort of think you'd work with Dan again? I'm not. I mean, you all seem to like to work. <laughs> Dan and I were looking at the set for that Sisters Rosenzweig has all this lovely chintz on it and. And he was saying that my next play should be Men in Cages. So <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to doing Men in Cages at the Seattle Rams <laughs> and having all those subscribers who came to Heidi and <laughs> I think this girl has gone completely mad. <laughs> I can't wait to go there and do it. <laughs> no, I, I guess what I mean is that the fact that you have done it together twice, it makes it comfortable, I, I would assume, to, as opposed to starting off new with, with a stranger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. Oh, yeah. No, no. You, it, It's very rare to find people, you know, someone that, the, to me, the best thing about working with Dan is he's someone I completely trust. Yeah. Uh, and that's wonderful. Casting know. as well. I mean, that you all saw pretty much eye to eye on what you came up with. Well, I, I think that, that there's a lot of collaborating on that whole issue of casting. It takes a long time. It takes a long time for me to cast, and and I think that our rhythm is about the same when it comes to that. We don't make up our minds right away. And particularly with this play, the, the chemistry of a family is very delicate, and try to get that right was was hard. And it took us a long time to, to, to understand what it was we needed. But it certainly wasn't the case of my knowing exactly what was needed and, and uh, trying to convince Wendy. We were both sort of trying to to figure out what it was. And, um, so this series of readings was kind of a winnowing process, maybe sometimes with the casting, that you see somebody you like, and then that person would would, would, you, would appeal to you, and then you would stop looking for that character? Or did, it, did it all just... Occasionally, we would have somebody in mind for a role, and we, but we were always, when we were doing the readings, we were really working on the play. It wasn't, those weren't casting sessions. And I don't think they ever should be. But occasionally, when we were fairly certain about somebody, we would ask them to involve themselves in a reading. I I know what it's like for a writer to listen to a reading. It's terrifying. And I think, if I'm not wrong, it takes a few readings to be able to listen to it Mm -hmm. because your ears are pounding so hard and your heart is pounding, you can't hear it. But for you, I would imagine the first reading, you, 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 you can tell something that you probably couldn't tell on the page. I'm 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 less uh, interested in readings than Wendy is. Mm-hmm. Really? I think Wendy definitely needs them. I I'm much more uh, concerned with what's on the page, and and uh, almost any idea I have about a play comes from that, and very seldom about a reading. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that as a performer, I I get involved. I, I'm too gullible, and I get involved in the performance, and I stop actually. I forget what my job is. <laughs> I start thinking as a director suddenly, and I start in my mind correcting performance as opposed to really listening to the play. So the the drier the thing uh, on the page, the better it is for me as a director. I can tell more from reading it. There are a lot of people here probably and out there who would love to have a hookup like you two have, uh, somebody you trust on both sides. You got Anybody got any ideas of... As a writer, how would you suggest that somebody find the director that they 
They really want to hook up with. I mean, sometimes it just happens, you know, like in terms of Dan, it was that I wanted to, I had gone out to the, C, to the Seattle Rep with uh, Andre Bishop to see a play by uh, Mark O'Donnell, and I was very impressed with the theater. I just thought, this is a wonderful place, and it's so far from New York, and no one I know is going to show up to <laughs> see this play here and sit with their hands folded, folded and say, I bet she can't do it. So, <laughs> so I thought, this is a wonderful place. And so, and that's really how I met Dan. So... I think sometimes things happen by circumstance, and you have to see if there's really a relationship to be had. It's the most important thing that can a playwright for a playwright is finding the director more than anything, right? Uh, I would agree with that, Dan. About about hooking up with writers, is there any suggestion you would have for directors or for writers about how to do it? Well, I think it takes a long time. Uh, uh, I mean, sometimes it can happen very early, but I think the wariness that exists between a director and a writer is, is well-deserved on both sides. Uh, certainly, as a writer, you're not looking for a director who can change your play. Uh, that's, that's not what you're after. And as a, I, I think as a director, if you ever come to a play thinking, well... It's not good now, but I can make it good. <laughs> yeah. Then, then uh, you're making a huge mistake, and you're doing a disservice to the playwright. Right. If there is a connection between uh, Wendy and me, it's uh, that I uh, admire the work and want to get at its essence. Uh, I don't want to change it. That's clear. Do you think, Wendy, because as you say, you've worked with a lot of directors, do you think there's any sort of a litmus test, not a way to tell if it's going to be a good one? Good relationship. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, well, it's got to be, you know, you have to sit down mostly and have, you know, if someone says, I'm going to fix your play for you, that you really, that is a really bad idea, you know, or if they're not willing to listen to you, uh, that's a really bad idea, too. I was just thinking, I once did a play in this theater, and this director will remain nameless, but for opening night, he gave me a pair of scissors. (laughs) <laughs> because he felt that I hadn't cut the play enough or something. But I, you we didn't know, work with him again. Well, don't do your play again with anyone who gives you a pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> the directors have us at an advantage. They have our play, and all we have is talk. Or, or past, there's always past performances, things you've liked or not. You think talk, in, in talking to them, if you, if you just got a good feeling about... Well, yeah, and also, you know, I guess initially also talk about other plays and what they like and what, you know, if you say you just saw, you know, five plays that you loved and this person hates every single thing that you liked, it's not a very good idea to continue that relationship, I think. Probably not. I think since we are don't have a lot of time, I'll throw it open to questions for either Dan or for Wendy. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Uh, the question was, I'll try, it's, it's as long he he said he, he wants to know if there are good guidelines of how to work out problems between a writer and a director and, and how come they don't seem to have these problems. Okay. I, um, I think the, the biggest mistake uh, going in is, is a, a poorly organized expectations. It can sometimes be it's lying to yourself. It's basically what I'm talking about. Uh, that is going into it thinking, well, this person doesn't agree now, but I can change it. You know? Or the writer thinking, well, I don't really like their ideas about the play, but uh, that'll change during rehearsal. Wrong, it won't. That's, that's the, you're off on the wrong foot. You have to be absolutely honest with one another, upfront about what you think about the play, where it should change. And if the, 
if the playwright doesn't agree, that has to be voiced, and the playwright, the playwright wins basically all arguments when it comes to what the play should mean and ultimately what has to be on the stage. If it's going to be a successful relationship, that has to happen. But if you have an idea, this is my rule anyway, if I feel something should happen in a play and the playwright disagrees, you have to keep examining. If the thing keeps occurring to you again and again, keeps coming back to you, then there's a reason for it, and you have to keep examining the reason. You have to be an absolute bulldog about it. Not, not, you have to be able to separate it from your ego. Your ego may want one thing, but whether the play actually needs it is something you have to continue to pursue. And that has to transform. That is, the thing itself you're after has to keep changing. There are a hundred ways to, to, to get there. It may not be the first idea you had, but somehow that thing that you're looking for in the play and the shape of it, uh, is something that you must continue to pursue. It's not a matter of somebody wins an argument at all. The argument keeps changing, and you have to be able to let that happen. I, I think, too, that the most dangerous thing you can set up is sometimes a, a we-they situation, you know, or me versus the director or something, or start talking to the designers and say, don't you think they're doing it really wrong? That's disaster. Uh, a really bad thing because either if one really feels that way then bring it up to the director but that sort of de- and I've seen it happen because in many ways putting on plays it's like a family or whatever and it be- can become very divisive and when it becomes little teams of things it's that road is the way to madness I think and a very unhappy production period uh, yes ma'am we're sorry but this question was inaudible uh, she wants to know Wendy said something about being uh, careful about who she shows her plays to. And this lady's question is, is she afraid of plagiarism? Exactly why Why does she have these fears at the beginning? Oh, no, not plagiarism. I think it's that because it's in a very tender place, really. And so what you want to is give it to people who you really trust because you don't want someone, you know, if something's really not very good, you don't want someone to say, oh, darling, it's wonderful. It's your best work. But simultaneously, it's also, you know, very... It's not finished. It's what it will become. So you want to give it to somebody who will know, have some idea of where it's going and say, yes, this is worthwhile pursuing and not saying, oh, it's terrible because it's not a completely finished product. But that, I think it's, that's why. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. What he wants to know is, uh, they've talked about the rapport. His question is, uh, what happens if things go bad? Have they ever yelled at each other? Has she ever, how do you recover from a couple of bad moments with each other? We, we have never yelled at one another, but I don't see that that wouldn't be possible sometime if we'd enjoy that, Wendy. Maybe. <laughs> we could. Uh, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to men in cages. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you recover from it as, as you would recover from any argument, I think. I, I think the most important thing is that as you're working on a play, that consciously you begin to think of the creative process is being done by us. There's we involved. And that when you're talking to the actors, it's that we feel. It's not, it doesn't, it's not, there's no division there. And that just means that you're constantly communicating about the play. That's most important. And it's most important, particularly for the actors, that that's true, that there is not a, uh, that it's basically one consciousness at well, that, that point. That goes along with what Wendy said about not running around and whispering things to designers or actors or 
or things like that. I, I also think in terms of the yelling, there, I'm not a yeller in life. So I think that if I was working with the director who yelled at me and wanted me to yell back at them, I could. I just, it's not my style. But I would think if one is a playwright who likes yelling, then they should deal with a playwright, you know, director who likes them to yell or, you know, or something. It's a different kind of relationship. If someone was asking me to yell every day, it really wouldn't be the right director. I, I have a playwright I yell at all the time. That's how we, that's how we communicate. He yells right back, but it's, that's how we don't hear one another unless we're yelling at one another. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. What, what, what she's asked is, if they're so together on what the play should be at the beginning, why do they need these readings, and where is it that they realize what the play should be? Why would the readings modify anything? I think in my case, I mean, these plays, the first draft is a finished first draft of a play. It's not, oh, yeah, but it's a, it's a completed play, and, you know, it's not pages, you know, it's, it's, it's a play. I think it could well be that in my case I just am better at hearing things than I am at seeing them on the page a little bit. And also because, it, because in, it's comedy, sometimes it helps to hear if people are laughing all the way through something and it's sort of, if my intention is this is a serious play and it's comedic all the way through, I have to be able to figure out what I want to do next is take down the comedy a tone and make sure that these are the moments where we hit the more serious notes. So for me, I, I just have to hear that a little bit. And it's not even, it's a generalized thing sometimes, but, you know, if everyone comes to your first reading and they're whooping the entire time, you know, at the end of that, I see what I have to do on, on, on some level. Well, I think a, a, a natural outgrowth of this question is, would you say the play has changed a great deal from that first draft to tonight? <laughs> um, I think it, from the reading that you came to? Well, just from yeah. when you gave it to Andre and to Dan. It's basically, it's interesting, it's basically the same play, it's the same characters, there hasn't been a structural, you know, change really in the second act except for the, the last scene, but it has, yes, it has, it has changed a lot, I think, for the better. Um, it's much, it's a tighter play. She saw the first preview and she wants to know how much change there's been since then. When was that first preview? When? September 25th. So it's only been a couple of weeks. Have, have there been a lot of changes in these couple of weeks? Yeah, I think so, substantially. I mean, it's 20 minutes shorter, for one. 20 minutes shorter, that's, that's a lot of work. Questions? Uh, I saw a purple sweater, yes. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. When she is developing characters, she wants to know if Wendy sees visual things in her head, actually. You see real people. You see people. Do they swim into your head? Is that what, that's the question? Okay. Um, I don't have too many visions. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, what's interesting is I actually I hear people and I hear characters and I hear how they talk. I'm not visually all that great. I remember when we were doing the Heidi Chronicles. There's a scene that takes place outside the Chicago Art Institute in the rain, <laughs> and Dan asked me, "Well, how do you expect me to do this?" And I thought, well, I. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what you do. I, I <laughs> and in this play, there was this man who, like, lived downstairs, but I never really made it clear how he got upstairs and what way he got into the house, and I never thought about it one way or the other. It really didn't occur to me. I, so I'm not visually, I don't really think about it that much. Number two. How does Wendy convey her ideas to her director and the designers without constricting ideas that they may have? Well, you should ask Dan about it, I mean, in okay. terms of this play. But um, in my, 
I actually think you work with, because I know I am not the most visually gifted person, I, you work with a really good director who will then get a really good designer. Because I know a play of mine, Isn't It Romantic, was done on this stage, and there were five couches on the set. <laughs> and what people basically did was sit, sat down the entire time. And um, one of the reviews said that I should be a novelist because people just sit and talk. <laughs> but, you know, if there are five couches on the stage, what are they going to do, you know? So, and the play was then redone and kept very active. And that was one that had to do. So I, you know, I think it's vital, in cho the choice of a designer. But I'm actually, I become very reliant on uh, Dan. Or do you want to add to that, Dan? Yeah, uh, well, one of the things I like about Wendy's play are that, that there's a, there are a few stage directions, and the play that they are plays of ideas, and they ri they ride along on their ideas, and that uh, I I love the puzzle of being able to figure out what people are doing. Another uh, playwright that I worked with a good deal. The the very first time I worked with him, I remember there was this thing I could not figure out. I couldn't figure out how to do it. Somebody had to fall down and lie on the stage for almost an entire act. And I thought, this is not possible. This person would not do it. So I, I set about to prove it to this playwright. Uh, this is a playwright who doesn't like to come to rehearsals at all. And uh, so in two days, I staged this. And then I asked him to come in just to, to prove to him that this really was, was not a, a realistic action of any kind. And he sat there and watched it. And uh, when it was over, he said, I don't understand. It says in the script that he grips his arm. <laughs> And he's not gripping his arm. I thought, this is complete madness. I mean, I, 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 he wasn't even watching that. He was so completely turned off about the fact that when the person was trying to make a point, he didn't grip the other person's arm. Mm -hmm. Virtually every line of this playwright's script is attached to what you're talking about, a visualization of how that moment goes. And the fact that I wasn't using this as a blueprint uh, was disturbing to this person. And after a while, the level of trust rose between us, and he realized he could cut me free a bit from this visual ground plan that he had for his play. Uh, but it took a while. Uh, was there still another part to that? We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. How hard is it to let go of it when you feel it's fully realized? I don't know. I mean, finally, I think, you know, for the sake of the play... If there's an overall, and the idea is like a little idea, and then there's an overall play, you'll finally let go of something for, for the sake of the play. Although, I remember there was a joke that Jerry Gutierrez, we cut, and isn't it romantic? And I always liked that joke, and so I stuffed it into the Heidi Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> when she says, I have valuables, that was an yeah. isn't it romantic. So I'm sure there's, you know, things in this play that I'll just stuff someplace else. Of course. Uh, the, the greatest single um, failing that I see in uh, younger directors is the desire, or maybe it's they feel the responsibility to be always in control and not let go, not be challenged in any way. And that's the first thing you have to learn. You have to let go of that because uh, it will not serve you well. Yes, sir. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. He wants to know if since the Heidi Chronicles was so successful, did that have any negative effect on Wendy writing after that? Is that a... I mean, I did. I remember one day I, I went to the Carlisle Hotel to visit a friend, and someone saw me in the lobby, and I was making a phone call on the house phone. And this woman came up to me, and she said, you're Wendy Wasserstein. Are you writing? And I just said, no, actually, I'm on the phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I found that, I mean, that sort of thing is, that's 
hard, you know. But I think ultimately you you have to go back to your room and write, you know. And so that's ultimately it. I mean, that was the best. I mean, it's sentimental, but I did tell Andre when we were rehearsing this play, I just thought it's a privilege to be back in a room and doing a play. That's the best thing that you can do, uh, whatever happens, really. I think that's true. Um, true And it comes, you know, and maybe, I mean, one thing I did try with my new play is that it's, it's in one set. It's about older people. It's a different kind of play structurally than the Heidi Chronicles. It's about a 54-year-old woman who falls in love, so it's not the same. Hopefully, you know, it's a different milieu, slightly. Uh, question. Oh, way back up there at the top, yes. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Uh, does, does Wendy write specifically for actors when she writes? I mean, sometimes you have an idea for someone, but more likely what happens is the great thing about sitting into in rehearsals is sometimes you hear people's voices. You, you literally hear them, and so when you're correcting the play, you know, in this case, I would think of something because I knew Madeline Kahn's voice so well after a while. There was something that I would take from overhearing her in the hall and thinking I can make this work for her. Were you thinking of Madeline Kahn to begin with? Not specifically, but once she was there, that was a, it was a good merger. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. When she hears a rhythm or a voice in her head, how does she convey that to the actors? I don't really. I mean, I just do it. On, I don't. How is it conveyed? Well, maybe that's Dan's question. How is what Wendy writes conveyed to the actors, the rhythms of the dialogue? Well, hopefully you have people who know that. I mean, I, I, I don't think I would cast somebody in a role unless I knew that the rhythm of the role was innate. You know? Are there occasions in this play, Heidi, anyway, that you hear them read what you consider to be wrong? Sure. And no, then, or, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, especially... I can't tell you how many, there's a, in the Heidi Chronicles, her boyfriend, Scoop, keeps calling her Heidela, and how many people came in during auditions and started talking about Heidela, and, <laughs> you know, and it went on from there. But I mean, once you're in rehearsal with these voices, with these people that you like, and with Dan and so forth, do you, does it ever happen to you that, that you hear it read, that, that it's not coming off the way you... Sure, but then I think you sit down and, you, you know, things don't happen immediately, right. and you sit down and you talk about it. I mean, which is basically the difference about doing a play than, you know, if you're writing Murphy Brown and you do it every week, you, you're the head writer, you've got that voice and you just do it and you know what's going to be said. What's fun about plays is you talk about it, it it's a, you know, a four-week process and you find it. And so often the character who doesn't, the actor who doesn't get it exactly right away is going to bring something to it that will enhance it. Yes, sir. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. What has been her experience with plays performed in other countries and other languages? Oddly enough, the Heidi Chronicles has been very successful in Australia uh, for some reason. None of my plays have ever been done in England. Uh, and I've been told that they're too New York, which is, a, I think, a euphemism for something else, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so... You're better off. But they've been done... They, but they've been done, yeah, in uh, Tokyo. Uh, they've been done in Japan, and they've been done in Sweden. And in Germany, the Heidi Chronicles was really popular. We're sorry, but this question was in They thought it was Heidi the goat When, she's writing, <laughs> when she's writing before yes, she turns it to anybody, do, do you tend to do a lot of changes as you write? I do do a lot of... Even before I hand it in, I do. It takes me a long time, and I don't work on a computer. I work on a typewriter, so that takes even longer. Um, so, yeah, I do. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. 
what what would she tell a first time playwright about who to show it to in your new play, an agent or whatever? Gosh, a first time playwright. I mean, I would say it depends. Uh, sometimes, you know, to a friend or someone who you know, or maybe someone who you know in the theater. Then often, I mean, plays. I used to be a script reader at the O'Neill and at the Public Theater and stuff, and plays do get read, actually. You know, and it's also what's always helpful is. You know, it doesn't always have to go directly to the artistic director of a theater. If you know somebody, anybody who's involved with the theater and somehow they say, oh, this is interesting, I know the literary manager there, I think that that's very useful. Uh, we've got time for just a couple more. Uh, We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. She trusts Dan <laughs> Sullivan. What is it she trusts? Oh, God. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> what is it? Dan is really, really smart. I think he's both analytically smart and theatrically smart. And that's a very hard thing to come by because then you have somebody who can both deal with the text analytically and also deal with it as a piece of theater. So I know what he's telling the actors is as good as what he's telling me. You see what I'm saying? That the theater, because it's both a literary form and it's obviously the theater, and, and that's it. And that there's someone who's in charge, basically. Yes, sir. How much does she We're block sorry, out the play before but she this question was inaudible. Uh, I have friends who block out entire plays like they're, uh, <laughs> they're invading Normandy. <laughs> I, I, I don't. That's probably why my plays are too long. I actually just start writing uh, and see what happens, and if the people seem interesting enough to me, then that's sort of fun, and then they sort of, as they come along, they become more and more interesting. But on the other hand, you know, people like Jim Lapine, everything is... It's outlined very carefully, very, very clearly. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Yes. She wants to know how they, how they managed to live until they were able to support themselves doing what they wanted to do. I was just telling Dan that one of my first jobs in New York was I took steno for the SSDNC. I used to get coffee for their meetings and stuff, and I, I used to deliver scripts for the O'Neills. I had odd jobs, Dan. basically. Uh, I was an actor. As a matter of fact, I, I was the first person on stage at the Vivian Beaumont Theater in 1965. That's amazing. It was Danton's Death, which was a disastrous production, and uh, Herb Blau had put together a little sort of dumb show to introduce it, and I ran on stage as a a French aristocrat, and I was cut to pieces with knives by four large women. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Yeah, one more. Yes, sir. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Why don't you work on a computer? He's delighted that you don't. Gosh, because I'm just terrible. I mean, I, I can't set a VCR either. And, and uh, I've just been working on an... Um, my friend Jenny Lynn, who puts things on computers, is here tonight. But I'm just used to this electric, and by now I'm just so used to it that that's what I do. I'm scared to change that. And I know it takes forever and it takes too long. But you know what it is? Because then you, when you, you keep redoing it and you keep retyping it so you don't make fast, dumb decisions, and I like that. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. She wants to know uh, if the nature of these 20-minute cuts or the changes in the play have been basically focus, or, or how, how, how were they arrived at? Were they in Dan's mind to begin with? No. No, I, I would think that, that what's been done to the play, some of it's text, some of it's playing that has cut, uh, the amount of time we've cut off. It hasn't really been 20 minutes. Yeah, uh, uh, but no, th- this hasn't been anything that I anticipated. I think you know, uh, Wendy and I had a, a rather 
general discussion about the play when I first got the play, and we talked about certain things, but uh, that was after I'd read it once or twice. I generally read a play maybe ten times before I start working on it, uh, and various things keep coming to you as you, as you read. Uh, you, it's like putting another filter on the play each time you read it. So uh, I can't tell you exactly when you know, opinions and ideas about a play are formed, but I think the, the, the first thing is just very broad strokes response to a play. And I quite honestly can't tell you whether the things that have been accomplished in the play uh, over the last few months were things that were anticipated or not. I don't really remember. It's, a, it's truly uh, an evolutionary process. Um, uh, I think the director's word is going to have to be the last word here because they've got to get to rehearsal. Thank you very much for coming. Again, this is Hal Prince, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members online at ssdc.org. The online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theater is made through the words of the people who make theater. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.